Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 170 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Man, I just got to say thank you so much for being part of the 5 million download giveaway last week. Uh, actually, today is the day that we are selecting the grand prize winner. That's right. Somebody today is going to get an email or a phone call letting them know that they, in fact, are the winner of an extra-large big green egg and a site visit from me. I'm going to come hang out with you, build into you for some time personally and spend some time with your team, however you decide. So I just want to say thank you. Hundreds of you won free Starbucks, free Dunkin' Donuts over the last seven days. And uh, you guys made it awesome. Five million downloads, like craziness, craziness. Hey, today's guest, by the way, is uh, somebody who's become a really good friend of mine and someone that I actually hired to work with me on my team a year ago. Her name is Esther Federikevich, and she is my literary agent. That's what she is. And she is such a great leader. I mean, she leads her own agency that she started from scratch, and she leads that so well. Plus, I can't tell you the number of times people have asked me, so Carrie, 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 what's it, what's it take to get published? Like, how did you get published? Because I've written three books. I got a fourth in the works right now that comes out next fall, which Esther has been uh, shepherding that project. And um, she is the best answer ever at the end. Like, I asked her a question I didn't know the answer to, and she just, she just crushes it. So if you, like, even think you have an idea for a book, you want to listen to the end of this one. You really, really do. So Esther's my guest. I think you're going to love it. And uh, man, we're moving into a really exciting season um, because we just finished the 5 million download giveaway. And guess what's coming back in just a few weeks? The High Impact Leader is coming back. That's an online course that I developed. And, and frankly, it's designed to help you get your life and your leadership back in 2018. Because you know what? Here's what's going to happen. 2018 is going to be exactly like 2017 was. You're going to be, maybe it was a great year for you. If that's the case, awesome. But a lot of you, you were trying to squeeze it all in. And I lived that way for a long, long time. And frankly, it burned me out 11 years ago. And then on the other side of burnout, I learned a whole new way to live. And I teach those principles in the High Impact Leader course. So it's not available right now. It's coming back after Christmas. However, if you go to the highimpactleader.com right now, I'm giving something away. I'm giving away the High Impact Leader calendar template. This is the template that revolutionized everything. So do yourself a favor, go to the highimpactleader.com right now and access the template. And then, uh, well, we'll get ready to give you the whole course in just a few weeks. And speaking of Christmas, uh, it's coming up real soon. And what are you doing to train all your volunteers for Christmas and beyond? A lot of leaders just do not have an answer to that. And there is no excuse for not having an answer to that if you listen to this podcast, because you got to get thyself over to lifeway.com slash ministry grid. Ministry grid trained over 400,000 leaders last year, and they completely redid their app since then. 
And if you're a church leader and haven't checked this out, I would just encourage you to do that now. There are over 750 courses to choose from. You can upload your own. You can customize things. And up until December 31st, you can get a free first-time guest team training available. But just make sure you go to lifeway.com slash ministry grid to get you started. And speaking of getting started, how about we jump into the old interview with Esther Federikevich. I think you're going to love this one. She's just uh, brilliant. And I learned some things about her that I didn't even know, having um, spent a good amount of time with her over the last year. And you're just going to love her heart. Um, all the links to what we're talking about are in the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 170, or go to Lead Like Never Before. Just search out podcast. You'll find it there. And here's my conversation with Esther Federikevich. Well, Esther, I've been excited about this conversation for a while. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Carrie. It's so good to be here. Yeah. So we've worked together for just over a year now because I went shopping for a literary agent. Is that your title? Like, what do they call you? Um, Yes, a literary agent. Some say literary and entertainment agent because it's not just books anymore. Am I that entertaining? Is that it? you're, You're that, but it's everything. (laughs) So as I said in the intro, Esther is my agent, and uh, you helped me get a publishing deal, which we will talk about. I mean, I've I've had a publishing deal before that's been completely great with Orange, Rethink, and David C. Cook, but I decided to get uh, someone else sort of in the game, which has been a fascinating learning journey for me. Learned so much about it and just love you as a leader. I think you do a great job, you and your agency, But let's go back a little bit. Let's turn the clock back a little bit. Tell us how you got interested in publishing in the first place. Okay, so um, this is a funny story, but my my dad was a a developer, and then he also was a pastor of Ukrainian Assemblies of God Church, okay? Okay. So very multicultural. We would have um, lots of immigrants come in, um, and they would stay at our house for weeks, you know, a week, two weeks, and they all from Ukraine and Russia, we would hear their stories, and my dad tells me, like, as a 9, 10, 11-year-old girl, I would, what's your story? What's God doing in your country? I'd ask a million questions, right? Huh. And uh, this is before, you know, cell phones or any of or email or any of that. And I would always say, you have to tell people what God's doing. Like, this is amazing. How are you going to share your story? And the way they would do it is travel and speak. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all they you know, or the radio um, or TV at that time. So for me, I was always fascinated with people's stories and, um, my, my gift is encouragement. So I would always encourage them to, even as a little girl to get out and tell more people what God's doing. And then from that, from that point, I never really knew about books, like really like what an agent did until I started working for Dave Ramsey. And I got into the publishing side, just working for him and learning a lot about just the business world. Um, Financially got set up through lots of his awesome advice and then um, fell in love with the whole publishing process when we worked on one of his books. So that was just my love of saying, hey, I love story. I love people. I think everybody has an amazing story. Um, Not everything should be a book, but getting involved in not just doing one person's book. I wanted to be a part of a bunch of people's stories. Hmm. What book was that of Dave's that you worked on? The Total Money Makeover. Cool. And what was your role back at Ramsey? I don't know that part of the story. First director of publishing. So we would self-publish products. I mean, we probably self-published about 50 products a year. And how did you get into that? Because you were a kid when you were doing this, right? 
before that, I worked for the Baptist Sunday School Board. It was Lifeway, right? Oh, yeah, and yeah. I sold discipleship training curriculum. So lots of experience in God, the mind of Christ, Henry Blackaby. And when I was there, I sold over a million dollars at 19 years old of curriculum. And they capped my commission. And so Dave was my Sunday school teacher at my church. And Dave said, come work for me. I promise you I'll never cap your commission. And that's how it started. But we have spent a lot of time together, and I did not know this part of your story. This is fascinating. So you're 19 years old, like you're a teenager, and you're selling a million dollars worth of product that they've got to cap your commission? Yep. That sounds like such an Esther story. How does a 19-year-old end up selling, like, okay, you got to explain that. So um, we moved, my husband got a record deal. We moved to Nashville. Oh, is he, he a musician? Yeah. And so we just... Nashville. I mean, I wanted to work at a Christian company and Baptist Sunday School Board was there. Nothing bad about the Baptist Sunday School Board. I just sold too much. Right. And so, uh, I just loved, you know, I loved being a pastor's kid. I knew pastors. I loved the church world. I loved getting people trained. So it was fun. And since I was a little girl, I could sell anything. So I always knew I was good at sales, but it was fun selling something that made a difference. How how do you sell anything? Because I think that's true about you. So I sold, um, my first business uh, was my dad was he would put us make us make business plans at like 10 years old and we'd have to put a business plan together. And if we if he approved it, he would finance it. But we would have to do all the work. So You're talking like he'd give you 20 bucks, right? Or whatever, whatever it was when you were 10. A hundred bucks. A hundred bucks. You were big league, big league stuff. So my first business, I was 13 years old and I figured out um, that a gumball cost one penny, but you make 25 cents. So think of the profit on that. <laughs> so my first business was to get those big gumball machines where the gumball spiral down, you know, right. so it costs quite a bit of money. It was like $500 for the machine. And my dad said, where are you going to put it? I'm like, I'm going to put it in a gas station, right? He goes, how are you going to get it in the gas station? I said, I'm going to go talk to the owner of the gas station. And I'm going to say 10% of it goes to my church for tithes. And I was in Sunday school, right? And the owner let me put it in. And my first gumball machine was banking about $400 a month in quarters, right? Think about it. (laughs) So then I got another one and then another one and then another one. And so by the time I was 14, 15 years old, I was collecting a lot of money on gumball machines. You were a gumball tycoon. Yeah. So it sounds funny, but the markup, I just did it because I was like, that's really good markup for a penny and you're making 25 pennies, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. And what would you give the store owner? Would you give them like nothing? They just let me put it in there. <laughs> really good. So they and I would just convince them. I was just this cute little girl coming in there and they're like, what? It's your own business. That's so sweet. And you're giving 10% to missions. I said, yes. And they let me put it in. That's so good. Okay, so you did that. And you learn those principles. So take us back, because I'm just always interested in people's journey. But you're at Dave Ramsey. You're 19 years old. Or sorry, you're, at, you're, at the, uh, you're with the Baptist. You're 19 years old. They have to cap your commission. How Obviously, this wasn't normal for them to sell a million dollars worth of curriculum. What was your approach? How did you, how did you get traction that early? Um, I read the products I'm from branding and marketing and pulled out all their sticky statements of why it's going to change their life. And then I would get testimonies and I, and it 
it started with tel- telemarketing. Well, the whole thing was telemarketing. Yeah. And I had the littlest churches because I was just coming in, right? So I had the worst job so ever. So they gave you the worst client list. They gave you the bottom of the barrel. Churches of like 80 members. And I started growing it so fast. But I was there at 7 in the morning and I was leaving at like 7 at night, you know, because I wanted to get the East Coast and the Pacific time. <laughs> then um, these pastors loved me. A lot of them thought like I was like their daughter, like such a right. young girl because my voice sounded really young or still sounds young, but back then it sounded really young. And they just liked me and trusted me. And then eventually from there, I got moved up to do the mega churches. And then that's where I ended up selling millions of dollars for them because the mega churches were, you know, churches like yours and bigger where they're, you know, buying tons of experience in God. So I wasn't Henry Blackaby's agent, but I kind of felt like I was his marketing agent. Kind of felt agent. like you were? So much, Yeah. All right, so this is interesting. I mean, most of most of us who listen to this podcast were leaders in in one sense or another, and everybody. I mean, I hope I don't get hate mail over this, but everybody who's a leader, we're kind of like in sales, right? Like at the end of the day, when I'm preaching, I'm trying because we're in the art of persuasion. So I'm trying to persuade somebody that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Like at the end of the day, that's what preaching is. And I used to be a lawyer, right? So. I mean, I get it. I spent a year in court every day trying to tell the judge that the other guy was wrong and I was right. My client was right, right? That's what you do, your persuasion. Now I just persuade people for the kingdom of God. That's what I do. And so let's do a little role play here. And I'm a small church pastor and you're 19-year-old Esther and you're calling me and I got to buy experiencing God. What? What? Are, like, Because obviously they're not making any sales off this, which is why they gave you... Let's do something current, okay? okay. Let's sell okay. something current because I haven't sold... That's so old, right? That's right, right. Okay, well, just, yeah, I just want to see your technique. Okay. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. So... <laughs> I would start, um, I would say hi to the pastor, right? Tell him, you know, usually I start with, they lo- they talk about my last name, Federkevich, right? right? How'd you come up with the name Federkevich? At that time, I hyphenated my name so people would call me back. So my maiden name was Chodnowitz. So I was Esther Chodnowitz Federkevich. And it was a marketing trick to get them to call me back with that long last name. And they all did. And they loved, pastors loved the name Esther. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I just started on common ground and I would, you know, we, at that point, you know, the internet, not all these churches had websites up, remember? So it yeah, wasn't oh yeah. like, So this uh, is what, the early 2000s, late 90s, something like that? 1997, 98. So you remember, there wasn't a lot, you, you couldn't research the church, right? Right. So my sales technique would be, hi, I'm a pastor's kid. I totally played the pastor kid role for yeah. as long as I could. I milked it. I said, there's this product that is, I'll, let's pr- pretend I'm selling the circle maker. Okay. Okay. This product that it's just changing lives all over the world. It's called the circle maker. It's teaching people how to pray. And we really think that your church would really love this. How about I send you a free copy now you and read it and just look for a note. I'm going to write a personal note to you. And if you like it, I'll send you in 30 days, I'll send you a whole case of them so you can go through it with your church. Now you have to remember these churches have 80 people on them or hundred. Right. Right. And they loved it so much because I'm saying, I'm going to send a free one. I wrote a little note. I put a little Bible verse. I even put like, you know, happy face circled. And they just, and then, yes, Esther, right after, they couldn't say no to me. So they would say, yes, send me a case. And then after that, did you go through? And with experiencing God, it really started changing lives. And so then they're like, send me another case. Send me another case. And then Henry Blackaby had others after experiencing God. So I think his next one was the mind of Christ. And I forget the rest under. And so they would just buy anything I told them to buy because the first one worked. Because of trust. 
Yeah. And so it's kind of like what you do, Carrie. It's like if, if you have somebody on your podcast or they're talking, you know, and you're saying buy their book, you probably recommended other books that they bought that changed their life or encouraged them. So they're going to trust the next person that you tell them to go buy. I get I get mail all the time from like, hey, thanks for breaking my budget, you know, because I have to buy a book almost every week. So it's it's yeah. great. But again, I'm pretty picky about like, I'm not going to tell you to go buy a book if I don't believe in the book. And same with our sponsors. I have the same thing. I'm not I'm you know, I, I really care about that stuff. And I know you we've talked about this at dinner and the whole deal. Like you really believe that books change lives. We've yep. we prayed that in your office, you know, and I love that about you. Thank you. I do. So that's good. So you start with common ground. You you play up the card that you could play, which I'm a pastor's daughter. Uh, the long why, why the long name? I mean, you know Tony, my wife, right? We're working together, and uh, she was a Carsicus. I'm a Newhoff, so that's finished. This is Dutch, and like. My goodness, I said, honey, whatever you do, just don't hyphenate your name because you will be spelling it either way forever. <laughs> I really did. I just did it for this. For fun, you know, never yeah. Typed, but but it, it gave them a talking point, right? Started it because they, it was, and it was every time. This was like, I mean, 10 out of 10, every time someone saw Esther Chodinowitz Fedorkevich, they went crazy. You know, they had to call <laughs> me back. So it worked. And once you find something that works, you keep going with what works, right? So you were already married at 19? Yeah, I got married at 19. Wow. To the worship leader at my dad's church. That's the best. <laughs> That's great. Not weird for Ukrainians. Ukrainians get married young. So it's not a, it's like a cultural thing. So it's, I mean, I will never let my daughter get married at 19 now. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. We're, we just celebrated 20 years. So, um, we, I guess broke all the rules that it worked. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. We were still kids. I, I got married when I was 25, but for our law school set, that was like, why are you getting married in the middle of law school? But we knew, and here we are all these years later and everything. Well, that's fascinating. Thanks for indulging us. But, you know, and, and you, I think about all the sales guys who are probably 20 years your senior or 30 years your senior, who, if they got that list, would be like, oh, my gosh, these churches have no money. I don't really care. And what would the, what was the normal like, or do you know what the normal approach was and why that was? They gave you the dead list. So what would a typical salesperson do? Most people hate their job. So they were coming in and they were miserable. Okay. So yeah. I could hear our little cubicles were like this so small, Carrie. Oh, so right? it was like almost a call center. Really? Yes. Yeah, it's like a call center. And so it's the most depressing job if you come in and you're just trying to make eight bucks an hour. Right. 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 For me, I never, um, my number one. Uh, strength and strength finders, which is really funny. Okay. Just so you know, this is positivity. Mm. I was going to so guess it. I was going to say it has to be positivity. So I could, and that's really rare. So no matter how bad something is, I can find the positive in it. So these people would come and they like hated their jobs, like mm. hated it. They'd have snacks in their little cubicle. They'd eat, they'd do the phone call so s slowly. Right. Yeah. So I would be, Hey, I know we're only making eight fifty an hour. Right. But listen, if you, if making 20% commission, right. Right. <laughs> Think about this. You could be making 50 bucks an hour, $100 an hour. Right. And they didn't see that because it was so boring. But for me, I made every call. It was fun. I was getting to meet a new person, right? Make right. a new relationship and give them something that I really believed in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's Henry Blackaby or, or today Mark Batterson. I mean, yeah, you're, you know, it's not like you're trying to sell them uh, gumballs or anything like that. Right. Not like something bad for their teeth that they're gonna have to go dead. Like it was really, uh, I mean, I I really believed in what I was selling, and so today, like with working with you, I mean, it's amazing getting the opportunity to do this book, and 
and other authors, it's amazing because I believe in their message and I know that it can it can reach so many more people. Um, I was listening to your buddy, Andy Stanley, um, uh, one of his uh, messages, and he said, uh, I'm going to totally quote him wrong, right? But it, he said, if you do important things, you'll meet important people who are doing important things. Mm-hmm. And I was just, and anything that's not about you is important, right? And so one of the things I loved about them, like, if you want to be an influencer, you have to do important things first. And so I really took that job as this is important. I'm giving them something or telling them about something that they have not heard about yet. Yeah. And I know it works. And there's all these testimonies of life's changed. And so I really believe that. So that opened up doors for me to meet more important people and that are doing important things like you and others. And um, it's it's super fun to be part of it. Well, and if you think about it, I mean, if a small church has a spiritual awakening because they read Henry Blackaby, um, that how is that a bad thing? That's an incredible thing. That, that really is. And yeah. I gave him a really good deal. Absolutely. You gave him a great deal. That's so Esther. That's so Esther. Yeah. And, you know, even uh, like our mutual friend, Mark Batterson, and you also represent Mark. And uh, Mark has said to me, and I think he said in this space on this podcast, he goes, you know, every book sold is a prayer answered. And you and I know Mark well enough to know that that's true, that that is that is how he approaches his writing. And if you can see it that way, um, I think I think that's a really good perspective, man. This is why I love. See, see why I wanted to have Esther as a guest. See how fun this is. This is just. There's never a dull moment with Esther. I got to tell you that it's it's so much fun. Okay, so uh, that's question one, and we are 16 minutes into the interview, which is awesome. Um, Want to ask you? People say because I hear this all the time, right? People are like, "Are you going to self publish?" Because publishing's dead. And you would have to admit the publishing publishing industry has changed dramatically. Uh, people are some people would say books are dead. Uh, I'd love to hear your take on the publishing industry today and and even books. Okay, so publishing is not dead. All right, mm. um, it just looks different today. But I will give you some numbers for your for your staff in 2015. Right? Yeah. Global book publishing market. Okay, globally. Right. What would you think, Carrie? It what were sales globally? Sales. Gosh, I don't even know. I'm not. I'm not very good at that. I mean, hundreds of millions. I. I don't know. One hundred and thirteen billion. Oh my gosh! Are you kidding me? One hundred and thirteen billion dollars of book sales. Two thousand fifteen. Now listen to this. In two thousand and twenty, we're only a couple of years. It's projected to be one hundred and twenty-three billion. So it's wow. going up. Yeah. Now here's the difference. Now the beautiful part of it, which I love as an agent, is over sixty-five percent of it is still paper books. That's interesting because people were saying five years ago, like a lot of people did the Kindle thing. I just started reading books on my iPad. And often if I'm on flights, I'll buy the the Kindle or the, well, who buys iBooks? But anyway, you know, that I'll buy the electronic version. But I still love, like, look at this. Adam Grant's The Originals just on the last chapter right awesome. now. I've got the physical book in my hand. And there's some, so you think there's still something about a physical book? I always thought because I thought even in remember in when the book the physical books were down that was like in two thousand and ten and eleven yeah. right the book yeah. market was down a little bit I I mean it was just because the ebooks were new right right I mean now I think people are sick of a screen right they're sick of another screen they want to I mean I'll I'll fly in, I fly on airplanes all the time and I see people with physical books and I yeah. remember five years back everybody had their cool Kindle Fire or whatever they were reading on. Um, 
And the interesting part is of those numbers, over a third of it is U.S. sales. I know you're Canadian, but over a third. So the U.S. market is such a huge book buying market. Totally is. And, you know, they're saying here's just another thing. They're saying by by 2020, uh, audiobooks will surpass ebooks. Yeah, that, that I was hoping you would talk about audiobooks. Most of my friends, I'm podcasts, but I haven't switched to audiobooks yet because there's something you're about reading. Using, you're going to be doing an audiobook, reading your own audiobook, and they're up like they're. It's the fastest growing book. Is that uh, in my contract? Good, because yeah, I hope I get to read my own audiobook. In your contract. It's in my see. That's why you need an agent. It's like, is that in my contract? How does that work? Um, I want. I've read my own. I've done an audiobook for Lasting Impact, and I read it and uh, myself. People loved it, and I can't wait to do the audiobook for our book that's coming out next fall. That'll be exciting. Are we allowed to share the title or not? I don't know. See, I don't know how this works. Is that, am I supposed to, because it's already written. It's in revisions right now. Well, if you say it on here, then the publisher can't change it. Oh, I guess so. That's right. So are we going to bind <laughs> Penguin right now with, with Waterbrook? I, well, it's such, a great, it's such a great title. Why don't you share it? Because it's yeah. your book. It's called, uh, the, the working title of the book is called Didn't See It Coming. And it's about anticipating the challenges in life, or what do we agree? Overcoming the challenges in life that no one expects, but everyone experiences. And so we're tackling seven big issues that uh, everything from cynicism to indifference to pride to burnout to emptiness, just kind of the the human condition we find ourselves in. And, and I mean, we should go through this journey. This is why it's so good to talk about your stuff for those of you who are writing or even honestly in sermon creation. Because remember when you and I first met, we talked on the phone summer of 2016 when I was interviewing different agents. And I said, it's a leader book. And then you got to look at, at some of the early stuff I had written. And what did you say? I said, no, it's, this is a self-help book. This is, I think that's what I said. I mean, this yeah, is yeah. A- bigger than a leadership book. Well, because his first chapter, guys, was on cynicism. Mm. And it was so good. I'm like, this is for everybody, not just leaders. Don't pigeonhole yourself into one category. Yeah. And then and then we said it was for Christians. And then I did a reading. I did a chapel at uh, after we signed with Penguin and Waterbrook. And they had people from Penguin New York listening in. And they're like, this is a business thing, too. And, uh, and that, that really spoke to my heart. Because I'm a former lawyer and I have a real heart for people in the business sector. And I know a good chunk of this audience, too. You're not church staff. You're leaders in the business sector and in banking or in law or in in finance or, you know, retail, that kind of thing. You're running your own businesses, you're entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, these are life issues. So it was pretty exciting. The book got a lot bigger in my mind and also in scope uh, after we had that conversation. And I also think the stories you told. Mm. It took you more to you're really vulnerable in the book and it takes you more to looking at um, not just leadership, but in general, what people yeah. are going through. It's life. It's how this impacts your marriage, your relationship. And so I'm hoping God uses it to really speak into the void that we find ourselves in. And then the other thing, you know, that you really helped me with, Esther, on, on Didn't See It Coming and by the way, kudos to Reggie Joyner. Reggie Joyner, I was just back at that hotel recently in Dallas, but we sat down a couple of years ago and said, what am I going to write on? I want to write on personal change. And it was, it was him who came up with Didn't See It Coming. So all kudos to our mutual friend, Reggie Joyner, on that one. Um, but 
you know, with, with, with those issues, it, I thought it was like for people at 40 or 50. And then we started testing it with younger people and they're like, no, I'm 25 and I feel cynical or I'm 23 and I'm burning out and uh, I'm 23 and I feel empty inside. And so uh, it's been really cool. We will only know how God uses it next year when it comes out, but it's been a fun journey. And I guess one of the big lessons for me is, you know, with your input and you have a whole team, which I hope we'll get a chance to talk about and then the publisher, Waterbrook and, and Penguin in Waterbrook in Colorado Springs, Penguin in New York have been like just great on this whole thing. And so getting more voices in, I think, has made it a stronger product. Yep, you're exactly right. So it's kind of like, um, think of it this way. Uh, I've never, I'm just doing this on the fly here, but yeah. I, uh, I'm a big basketball player, coach basketball, right? You can't, unless all the members on your team, you have all this input. And this also goes into marketing. You can't do even, a pastor can't do one thing on his own. He needs a whole team input, right? right. If people are missing from the team, Carrie, you can't teach them a play. <laughs> you can't actually have a successful play. So basketball, if I have, I, yesterday I had a practice with my, my son's 12 with his kid's team and three of the players were missing. I couldn't work on any offensive plays because not the whole team wasn't there. I got to go and see you coach a team. That would be like, that would be amazing. I'm crazy. But I, I can see that. I can imagine you being crazy on the, on the but it's field. just like in, in uh, publishing, so many people will write a book, but they have no team around them. So they don't mm -hmm. have the input or the knowledge of having everybody on it, on the team, learning the play together. So, and you're seeing this, Carrie, from your marketing team at the publisher to your in-house marketing team, to your agent and your agencies, our side, right? To... Uh, your editor at your publisher. Yeah. Everybody's part of that team. And we can't r do a successful book or run successful plays for the book if we're not all in it together, showing up together. And that was one of the reasons, you know, because I interviewed a number of agents and, and there were a variety of factors, but I really liked you, but I love the fact that you also had a team and that, you know, you've got a speaking bureau, you've got editors, you've got marketing people. And so, I kind of am building a team in my company. You have a team. The publisher has a team. And I think when everybody has a team and there's multiple input from multiple parties, everything gets stronger as long as you're open, right? As long as you're open. As long as you're teachable, you know, and you're open to it and you're saying, okay, well, I haven't done this part of it before. I know my message, what I wanted to say, but you're open to other people's input. It only makes it stronger. And you don't really know whether it's good or not. Like I wrote that cynicism chapter because you told me to, you know, I gave you the idea I gave you, I think I gave you six ideas, didn't I? Yeah, you, and, that idea was far, it was so good. And I'll tell you, every publisher, we went to a bunch. So how it kind of works, um, guys, on the publishing side is we, we send out his proposal. We do a book proposal. We send it out to a lot of publishers. And then we send them one chapter for them to read. Everybody called me after they read that chapter. Hmm. All these, oh my gosh, it's so good. Do you have more? And we only wrote one at that time. Yeah, remember? I only had one. I'm like, I don't know whether I have more. I hope so. Well, buy the book and then you can have more. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. You got it. You got you got yes. unbelievable competing offers, which was incredible. But that's yeah, what you do. But it was just you just wrote a really compelling chapter and people wanted more. And it just showed people that there's a need for this book. Well, and that's the other thing, too, because, you know, I had six or seven ideas for books on the page, and I'm sure at some point some of those other ideas are going to get written or revised or whatever. But when you work in isolation, and I think a lot of leaders do work in isolation, particularly in small churches or small companies, small organizations, it's easy to get isolated and picked off. And I mean, I remember 
still in the same community 22 years later, but in the original churches, you know, sometimes I wouldn't talk to anybody all day and you get very lonely in your head. And, you know, your validation of my idea and then a bunch of publishers' idea and then the publisher we went with, their idea, you know, it sort of validates it and the best rises to the top. And then you get ideas and feedback on the other things. And I can't wait. I'm going to get um, Andrew, our editor, I'm going to get his comments on the book. Uh, probably in the next few weeks, probably by the time this episode airs, and like I'm going to spend pre-Christmas rewriting it and redrafting it, and that's that's just exciting. And again, if you're not too married to what you wrote in the first place, it's just going to be stronger um, coming out of that. Yeah. So I love, I love that you said that, and I think you're going to see it at the end. And when you have other people's input, you're going to say, "You're right. This is so much better than I even thought it could be." Totally. I don't know. The longer I lead, the less I trust. Like you got to trust your gut, but the less I'm, I'm kind of like think I know what I'm talking about. I'm mostly I'm just like, oh, let's just get smart people around here and we'll try to figure this out. So there are tens of thousands of leaders listening. Everywhere I go, people are like, um, well, we'll go, we'll go there in a minute, how to get published. But like, do you think that everybody kind of has a book in them? How do you know if you have, let me ask a better question. How do you know if you have a book in you? Because there are probably some people who don't think they have a book in them who do. And then there may be some people who think they have a book in them and maybe they don't. Like, how do you, how do you know? When you meet people, because you meet prospective authors all the time. That's your job. How do you know whether there's a book in somebody? So stories are always alive, right? Erwin McManus, I think you've had him on your show, Erwin. Yes. Erwin, he says, the people who tell the best stories shape culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I have that plaque up in my lobby here at the office. And what I love about that quote is you have to have a really good story. Like it has to be the best story. So a lot of times people say this, I I had so many people tell me I should do a book, right? Yeah. The problem is they don't have the work ethic to go do the book, (laughs) right? So you could say, oh, I'm supposed to do a book, but it takes a lot of work. And Carrie, you know how much work that takes to write a book. You're on number four now. It's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. So you have to, first of all, a story Everybody has a story, right? Every single person in the world has a story. Now, should it be a book? Not necessarily, right? Yeah. It could. Some people's stories could be movies. It could be an interview. It could be a testimony at church that you share. It's not necessarily a book, right? A book's right. got, for me, a book's got, there's a lots of components. I mean, you have to have an incredible story or something to say that's unique. So we look as an, as an agency when someone says, I have a book idea. There's three things and you have to have two of the three to get a book deal. In my opinion. Okay. okay? Number one is platform. Right. Everyone that word, but it's platform. You have to prove to the publisher that you have a platform that you can sell books. Right. So by that, let's just clarify for those who aren't familiar with that term. What do you mean by platform? Um, how many email addresses do you have? Do you have an audience that's used to buying from you, right? Have right. you had, have you self-published a book or an ebook? Do you have any numbers to show if it's your first book, what kind of platform you have? The other side is Instagram followers, Twitter, um, uh, podcasts, Carrie, look, a right. podcast is a huge thing, radio show, TV show, um, size of your church. If you're a pastor, what is your platform? What is your sphere of influence? And will your sphere of influence buy your book? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the three elements. Yeah, platform is one. Okay, and it's probably the sad thing is probably the most important one. Right today. Um, number two is do you have a great idea? Mm-hmm. If I could tell you how many ideas I see that are actually the same idea, nothing new, right? You have to have a new, fresh idea. 
something interesting about it. So a lot of times that's your personal story. So when you read these great books about someone's personal story and they're teaching you a lesson, it's what makes it so beautiful because it comes from a real place. Right. Um, that's number two. You have to have a great idea. Number three is it has to be written well. Mm-hmm. And um, you have to have two of those, two of those three. Now, if you have three for three, it's golden in my book. If you have a platform, an incredible idea, and it's written amazingly, we can anybody can get you a book deal. Right. The worst agent, a new the agent, worst agent can get you a book deal. Um, but on the side of if you have the hardest to get is if you have a great idea and you're a great writer, but you have no platform. And mm. we've gotten book deals like that for people. So and you've actually gotten book deals because I'm glad to hear that because there's a lot of leaders who are like, hey, I'm trying to be faithful in a church of 75 people. I do have a great idea. I hustle, but like I got, you know, 100 people who follow me on Twitter. That's it. So there, there is hope. We've gotten those book deals. And you know what's interesting is they're incredible writers, incredible yeah. writers. They really work on their craft. So if... If you're not an incredible writer, but you have a great idea, lots of pastors, right? There or communicators are amazing communicators, but they can't write. Yeah, I'm not a writer. I can't write. So I mean, I could not pick up. I could not write. I just don't have that huh. gift. But I can have a great idea, and I could have a big platform. And what I would do is spend the money on a great writer that can write in my voice. And the mistake that so many pastors make is they have they're great communicators. They have a great sermon series, and they just transcribe it and put it into a book. Oh my gosh. Have you ever, I mean, I'm asking this to listeners, but have you ever read a transcript? Like I preach and I write. And um, sometimes lately I've had um, talks that I've given, like for the High Impact Leader, for example, which we'll release in a couple of weeks. I gave that talk at Mark Batterson's church. He pulled me aside and goes, that needs to be a book. And I didn't have time to write a book last summer. So I made it a course, the High Impact Leader course. But the first thing I did was uh, Mark gave me a recording of the talk I gave. I had it transcribed. It read like a three-year-old was speaking. Like it was crazy because you talk in a totally different way than you write. So the next step was to take that transcript and actually turn it into intelligent English. And again, if, 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 you, if you read, like I know some people read their message, but I know if I wrote a message and then I spoke it, it would sound far worse. I think they're two very different things. So I think you're right. So transcript's a bad idea. Yeah, it's a bad idea. And so you can get, there's amazing ghostwriters. I mean, there's tons of amazing ghostwriters that sit and the good ones can capture your story and write it just like you would say it. In and your that would voice. be like a Carrie Newhoff with ghost.writer or whatever, yes. right? Yeah, so that's, that's those books, right? Usually they're credited somewhere and it's not cheating, is it? No, it's not cheating because it's really them telling their story. It's a lot of work even to use a ghostwriter because yeah. you're pouring out your heart. You're crying. You're reliving the past. You're whatever it is. And they're writing it down and you're seeing it on paper. So um, a great ghostwriter is able to take your words or your story and put it on the page the right way that captures the reader. Hmm. Okay, so those those three things. So really, it is possible for anyone to get published. But is it harder than it was 20 years ago? That seems to be the 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 view on the street that it is harder to get published today. Yeah, they're publishing fewer and fewer because they're looking at platform, right? As number one, right. they're really making sure you have this audience that's engaged. Now, the fun part is what we didn't talk when we were talking about is publishing dead over in one, like last year, over 2 million books were published. Wow. Over 75% of them mm-hmm. are self-published. Really? So, What's happening now, self-publishing, we have a whole division here at the Fed Agency that is called Agent Managed Self-Publishing. We self-publish books for pastors, for celebrities, for authors. Uh, when, you're, when you 
are starting out or you're big or you have a big ministry, we're able to get a book out really quick, right? Right. But because in the publishing timeline, you're waiting a year and a half before your book releases. Literally, yeah. I mean, I started this in June. It'll be out September 18th, 2018. Yeah, so if you have a big message of something you're speaking um, for January, you can actually get that done and have it out for your people for January next year. Right, right. Um, You can never do that with a publisher. So on the side of the ability to self-publish, the problem that I see is so many people are just doing crap. Hmm. They're publishing crap. The writing's bad. They don't get an editor. There's too many mistakes in it. The cover looks self-published. Right. And there's people who are self-publishing and they're self-publishing something that looks excellent that you would never know it's self-published. Gotcha. So just if you're self-publishing, take still put the time and the hard work to make it look amazing. Let's talk about that. The advantages, uh, I should have asked you that question, but I will now. Um, the difference between self-published and going with a major publish, publisher. Because I remember a lot of my friends who are authors, they said, why don't you go self-published? And I have my own reasons for uh, wanting to go with a, a major publisher. But what are the pros and cons in your view between self versus trying to get a book deal? Well, one of the pros is you can have it out right away. Yeah. You don't have to, if you have a message and you want, you don't want to wait a year and a half, you have the ability today to do it. Right. I think it's 68% of all books are sold online. Right. So so you can have your book available. Everyone goes to Amazon. You can have it available on Amazon and people can buy it right there instantly. It's not that hard now to get your book. You don't have to have a store. You don't have that. You just do it yourself, put it on Amazon. It's out. That's the beauty of self-publish. One of the beauties. The other thing is you make a lot more money self-publishing. Yeah. Well, okay. Let me push back on that because that's true. I mean, you might make, if you publish it and you have very low startup costs and let's say it's an ebook, I mean, you can make 80, 90% gross on that, that book, if not higher. But if you have no platform, like do people just. So what they're, the, and what I didn't tell you is of those 2 million books, the average book of those 2 million. Yeah. 250 copies its first year. Wow. 250 copies. And that, yeah. that by the way, is not Girl, good. Correct. I, I would be out of business if that was my business, right? <laughs> you have to. That's why you see so many. There's so many books out there, but they're no, they don't have a market. Yeah, exactly. So I self-publish. I put months of my life into writing a book. I do an ebook, so it costs me almost nothing. There's no investment. I put it out there on Amazon. But like, you you can die a thousand deaths in yep. the middle of Amazon. So there is money, but only if you sell, right? Only if you sell. And so when people talk about, well, you could self-publish it. Well, you self-publish because you think you're going to sell a lot on your own and you're only going to your market. And what a publisher does is the distribution side. You can't come close to what a big publisher does. Like what your publisher, Penguin Random House, you can't come close to what they could do on your no, own. Even with millions of podcast listeners, five million now, and you know, Uh, That's not close to the marketing power of a major publisher, which is the number one reason I wanted to go with a major publisher this time. And then start talking about foreign licensing. Yeah. For that, like once you start for and translations, and so if you if you believe your book's going to be, it's really important and is a broad message and is bigger than just your own audience. To go with a big, big big publisher is so beneficial to you because they can get it translated into twenty languages if it starts selling. So you have you have the ability to grow your audience outside of the audience you're already reaching because of your books everywhere. Yeah. And the goal, of course, you know, John Acuff has said this really well. He says he's never met an author who doesn't want their book to be read. 
And so the goal is not necessarily sales for the sake of sales, right? It's not, oh, I want to be famous or, you know, I want lots of people to read my book. It's like, I think I got a message that's going to make a difference and I hope it'll help a lot of people, right? That's hopefully the right motivation for why you want to get published. Is it? And I think everybody, Esther, has this idea that maybe they will be the next Shaq, right? The guy who who publishes his book at Kinko's. And then self publishes it, and then you know all of a sudden it's twenty million sold or whatever. Those are the complete outliers, are they not? Yes, it's so rare, you know, so so rare, and that can happen. But I mean, do you know how much hard work that was? I mean, yeah. they were keeping it, and so a lot of people they. I, if I could tell you how many people have come into my office, Carrie, and said, "God told me my book's going to sell a million copies." Oh, really? So many people, but then they never write the book, <laughs> have an idea, and they never do the hard work. So that's where I, I have this saying up in my office from Batterson's book says, work like it depends on you and pray like it depends on God. Absolutely. And I really believe that we can work like crazy. God honors our hard work. You can't, it's not just going to happen because you just put something out and you got lucky. You know, if that was the case, we would be very, very, very rich, you know, if we knew. Yeah. But you have to, I really believe God honors us, our hard, hard work. And at the end of the day, just pray like crazy for God just to bless it. Yeah. That, so what are some keys in the writing process to writing a great book? Like when you look at the book itself, you're looking at a manuscript. So somebody has come to you and says, here, Esther, I'd love you to read what I've written. What are the hallmarks you're looking for? Great, right. A page turner, great writing, uh, something that makes you feel, that makes you cry, that makes you, that moves you when you're reading. Emotion, right. Emotion, right. right? And that's well written means, I don't care. People say, is it grammar? What's my grammar? No, that doesn't matter. It's, Mm -hmm. is it, is it good writing? Does it move you? Are you saying something that I haven't heard before? Are you saying something that maybe we've read in the Bible a million times, but they bring it out in a new way that you never thought of it that way? Yeah. Yeah. So it's fresh angle, fresh perspective, which is different because people, you know, people say to me, hey, you're in the leadership space. Well, it's not like the leadership space was empty when I started there. Right. There was there are a lot of people in the leadership space. And even for this book, it's like not the only author who's ever written on cynicism or on life issues. So what would make even, you know, a manuscript on well-traveled subjects burnout? You know, I've got a chapter on burnout because I burned out, as a lot of listeners know. Awesome, right? In your book, I got. I can't wait till your listeners read that chapter. We've. I think everyone has been there, or close to there, or <laughs> going there at some point. In their or as life. a best friend, yeah, they're a leader, right? Or they're running a business because we all struggle with that, and it's it's trying to find that time to say we need help. <laughs> so what is it though? Because I mean, Esther, you know this. There's so many books on burnout. There's probably books on cynicism. There's there's books on the emptiness you feel when success comes your way. What what is the angle that you as an agent or a publisher is looking for? Well, for you, it was you had you you're a, you're a really great writer, but you also had a Canadian sense of humor and you're funny when mm. you write. So you may like you had that thing, you know, where you made you laugh and you, you told you were very vulnerable and personal in the story. So that was really great, too. OK, and then hopefully there's some insights. I mean, it, it was really weird. The weird part that we're still working through is how much. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's all anchored in Scripture. I think the gospel is the answer. But I want to write the kind of a book that if, you know, it's probably going to start in the Christian market, but your neighbor next door, uh, you would give them that book for their Christmas, you know, Christmas gift or to read or whatever. Or, 
if you worked where I worked in downtown Toronto and you're surrounded by a whole lot of people who are wildly successful and empty on the inside, you would be like, I'm going to give this guy this book and And I want them to be able to read it. You're exactly right. And then some people write where they're with you on the journey. They're living, they're still living through it. Then some people write where they're up top, you know, teaching you. And some people write like, Hey, I'm going to write a great biography of this person. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a different kind of read and your type because you want that person giving it to their next door neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I I mean, I've always said helpful is King. I I always give that advice to readers. It's like nobody's because I really believe nobody's interested in my story. Um, people, people are interested in getting help. And if I can help them with a podcast, like you've already dropped so many nuggets on like getting published and hustling and doing the hard work and what it takes, you know, it's those three things that we've talked about numerous times to get a book deal. You either need platform, a great idea, or you need to be a great writer and two out of three helps three out of three is a home run. Um, you know, stuff like that. That's helpful, right? At the end of the day, this is, this is going to help the listener. Yeah, if any of your listeners have a three out of three, please email me. <laughs> we will give contact information at the end. Exactly. Um, what about, what? A, okay, because I'll just go into this. We do live in a platform age and the world is flat. I mean, I'm doing this podcast, literally, I'm in my office in the basement of our house, right? So you can reach millions of people from your house now. Um, but a lot of people get caught up on what I might call the idol of platform or this idea that they want to be famous. What are the, what are the pitfalls of platform and where, where does it work and where does it start to work against you or where are you just banging your head against the wall? Okay. So in pastors or leaders have a really hard time with this because they give everything away for free, right? Right, right. They give their sermons are for free. They people can come to church for free. Their uh, everything is. They go speak for free. Everything is free, so they don't have an audience that's used to buying from them. Mm-hmm. And that, I had that problem for years. I mean, I gave everything away for free for years. Still, largely do. So when you're looking at platform, you have to get your. I don't care how big or small it is, but do you have an audience that's transactional with you, which means they're used to buying from you. Right. Like let's use Mike Hyatt example. Everyone yep. knows Mike. He can, he could recommend the standing desk, right. Or whatever, or this. Or that. <laughs> and he and, has. Yeah. And, and anybody they'll buy it because they're used to buying from him. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're, if as a pastor or leader, if you're giving everything for free and then you do a book and you expect your audience to buy it, good luck. It doesn't work. So you have to build an audience that's used to being transactional. Think about back in the day before the internet, right? People would get on TV, these pastors, and they would sell things all the time. Right. It was, you'd call and you'd buy it. It was, well, you have to think of that still with your line. Yes, give them free stuff, but don't give everything away for free. Have them come to you where they're actually spending some money or buying so that when you do have a book or when you do have a movie that comes out and you're asking to buy a movie ticket, right? It's not just books anymore. Or you do have a reality TV show or an audiobook or an ebook that they're used to coming and yes you can give them free content but they're also purchasing something from you even if that's a 99 cent or a $9.99 or a 19.99 purchase so yeah and that's why people do really well that are selling an e-course you know that people are spending right. hundreds or thousands of dollars on they have a book people it's easy to get someone to buy a $20 book Mm-hmm. And so the, there's that idea. A lot of, you know, a lot of pastors struggle with that. Why do you think, because you have a, I know you have a heart for pastors and your dad's a pastor 
and you represent lots of pastors. Why do you think so many leaders have a hard time with that? Or Christians as a whole have a hard time? Because they that? think they're promoting themselves. Mm. They think they're, 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 they're getting people to buy from them. When really, I usually say to pastors, uh, I re- so I represent probably more pastors than any other agency. Okay? Oh, I so didn't I, know that. I represent a lot of pastors. So you see them across the board and they feel like, well, I don't want to be self-promoting or I hate what that one person does on TV and I don't want to be like that or come across like that. (laughs) We've had that conversation, yes. And so what I look at is if you believe that God gave you this message and it's going to change lives, why wouldn't you talk about it? Why wouldn't you tell someone they need that? And don't look at it like you're promoting yourself by my book. Look at it like this message you need. And I put this together. I spent a lot of time because it's going to change your life. Right. And there is a value proposition. I would say writing this book was definitely uh, probably the hardest experience. I mean, no book is ever easy. Um, But it took me the whole summer of writing, not eight hours a day every day, but like you pour your whole heart into it. But one of the things I love about the idea of the book, and you know, again, you're looking at, I don't know what the price point for the book will be, but let's just say sub $30, even for the hardback, who knows? Uh, that's up to the publisher, not me. But like, it is the best advice I can give in 60,000 words or 50,000 words, whatever the final manuscript. Like I poured months and months and months of my life into this. And, you know, if we were doing an hour long conversation, I probably couldn't do better on cynicism than I did in those 8,000 words on cynicism, you know, in that chapter. So I see that. And if you look at it from that perspective, that like people ask me to mentor them all the time. Well, I'm, I'm subject to seven days a week and 24 hours a day like everybody is, but I have these courses, right? The High Impact Leader course, Breaking 200. I pour more into those courses, which are paid resources, than I ever could into a mentoring relationship. And frankly, if you flew me in, it wouldn't be as good because I'm going to be there for two hours, three hours. I can give you hours, like days of content to go through with your board and a whole book. And you know, it's far more affordable than even, you know. You're, you're exactly right. And then you think of what you would pay an e-course, right? Now, also think you come, they, they come, hear you speak, right? You go, you speak, you do 30 minutes, great. They get pumped up. They can buy your book and get so much more. Yeah, totally. 30-minute message. And that's the beauty of a book. And they can sit, they can highlight, they can take notes, they can get, I mean, they can go then into deeper into the stuff that you're teaching or buy a course after it. So a book is amazing. I mean, it's just like when you read a book, I mean, think about it. Sometimes you have to stop at every chapter and that's yeah. all you can see because it's, it's a lot. Well, and there are books. I mean, I got my library behind me. As you can see, you've got a library behind you. There are books we reread on a regular basis. Like you're going to go back and read them every couple of years or every year and that kind of thing. So I get that. I think that really helps with the value proposition. And at the end of the day, that's just the world we live in. And uh, you know what? You're going to go buy a book for Christmas. You're going to go buy a book for uh, somebody's birthday. And uh, it would be really cool if, you know, for some of our leaders, if, if their dream got realized. One of my favorite things about this podcast is some of the previous guests have shared an idea on the podcast and they've gotten book contracts out of it, which I think is amazing. Like first time authors. That's awesome. That makes me so happy. Like John Stickle, Follow the Cloud. Uh, he was one of my first guests first year and like has a book that's been doing really well. And I love it. Andrew uh, Bright, the comedian, he's got his first book out. And I mean, it's it's just exciting. It's really exciting to see. Um, okay. Anything else on getting published that you think the audience could benefit from? 
no, I think, I mean, we covered a lot. I would just say it's a lot of work. I go back to, it is yeah. a lot of work to just getting published. It's not about just getting a publisher, you know, it's, it's a whole team approach, what we talked about. And it's a lot of work. So don't go into it thinking this is going to be so easy. <laughs> Do a lot of people get started and just quit? Yeah, a lot of people start with the idea or the proposal and they quit. And it's really sad because a lot of them have what it takes, but they don't, they have the right idea. They have three of those three, but it's a lot of work or for other circumstances. Um, well, that's where I'm like, you got to believe in yourself more than I believe in you. And I believe in people like crazy. And you know that about me. I know. So, but if they don't believe in themselves and really are willing to work hard, you can't expect all these other people around you to work super hard and you sit back and do nothing. So you work with hundreds of authors over your career. I'm sure there's no one size fits all. It's not like, well, if your alarm goes off at 5 a.m. and you write for two hours every day, you know, blah, blah, blah. So people are writing all over the place in different locations. There's a myth of the writer's cabin. You know, I'm going to write a book on a sabbatical, that kind of thing. But there must be some distilled principles that you're like, you know what? Most of my successful writers and the ones who do it well um, here are some of their habits. Here are some of their disciplines. Here are some of the things that I have seen that seem to be common ground to great writers. So if, even if you had to give a couple of tips to somebody who's like, you know, I started and I didn't finish, or I just can't get started because like, I don't even know how to get started. What, what, are, what are some keys that could help them make some traction? That's a great question. So we talked about it this actually the other day about most of my writers have other jobs. Oh, writing, they're not full-time writers. Like, I'm not, not a full-time writer. Yeah. They're not, all are doing other things too. Writing is one component. So think about it this way. If you want to be a great writer, take a writing class. Start taking hmm. courses. I can't say to you, I want to be a great piano player, but never take piano lessons and just <laughs> automatically be amazing, right? And play a Beethoven piece for you. No, I have to actually take lots of lessons and practice a ton. And so the beauty in writing is rewriting, you know, and it's practicing and having other people read it and being, being willing to be criticized and show people your baby. Right. And yeah, say, I, I want to be better. So great writers always rewrite and great writers, they work really hard. And when you're writing your book, you know, this, everyone works different. Some people carry will, uh, go to the cabin, right? Some right. people will consistently make every Monday their writing day from eight to noon, no matter what they sit. Oh, yeah. I have friends like that every Friday. Yeah. Um, some, uh, pastors take a three month sabbatical mm -hmm. and they write, but you know what? The whole year before that they're reading tons of books on what they're writing about. So they're preparing. So when they sit, they're ready to write. Um, everybody, some people just do it. Everybody's different. I mean, some people do it where they're like, okay, I'm writing in the evenings. I'm putting my kids to bed. A lot of my mom writers, right? They put the kids to bed with young kids and they write in the evenings, every evening, for them. you know, seven days a week. So it doesn't work unless you have that purpose and you know that you're supposed to do it because without that purpose or calling, whatever you want to call it on your life, that, that thing nudging you to say, I have to do this. You're not going to, it's too hard. You're not going to finish. I was in San Jose recently with uh, a group of young leaders and we just went out for a quick bite to eat. Just some people, we were at a conference together that I was speaking at. And I remember Esther, they were asking me, you know, what does it take to have a blog and a podcast? And, you know, one of the things that occurred to me was, I said, you know, it does cost you something. And I don't think of this as a cost, but like, I, I don't watch a lot of movies and I am pretty much out of touch with what's on TV 
And I have a couple of hobbies that are really strategic, but like at a certain point, there's something you have to sacrifice to do what writers do. Like they're, you know, even talking to Mark Batterson after this last book, you know, he's, how many books has Mark written? I don't know, 14, 15. It's crazy. Like almost one a year. And he's like, you know, it takes a toll. It does. It's like playing pro sports. There are things you're going to have to give up if you want to do it. And for me, that's an early morning discipline. It means early to bed, I got up. And I mean, you, I think you can write anywhere. I wrote some of this book in Europe when we were on vacation. I've written it on airplanes. I write it in the morning. I write it in the backyard. I write it in this office. Like, you know, and I keep coming back to it. And I find for me, I usually have about an hour and a half to two hours of just like, really hot prime time a day if I'm writing. And even if I have more time available, my ideas kind of like filter out. And it's draining, right? Like It is draining. So it's not this, some moments are beautiful, but it's a lot of work. And so that's where it still comes back to you want it. You have to feel called or a purpose. You have to really feel important, you know, and called to the message you're writing. And it's going to cost you something. It means you're not going to, you know, watch the whole season of Stranger Things. It means you're, you're not going to be out every night with your friends. It means, you know, that's you're, something's going to have to go. And if, and if you don't want to live that way, that's okay. You don't have to write a book. Like nobody's going to ask you to write a book. No one's going to ask you to blog or podcast. But there is a hustle and a discipline, I think, associated with it that would be consistent. But isn't anything that we do cost us something, right? If anything that we're going for costs us something. And I think you're right. A lot of people think writing's a lot easier. It costs you Mm. something, right? If just like we went back to piano, it takes a lot of time to practice, right? Or with writing, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot out of you. Anything, if you really want to be great at it, it's going to cost you something. Well, and then you have to ask yourself the question, you know, when you look back on your life 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, and, you know, you're sort of past your productive years, you're 75, 80 years old. Are you going to look back and go, should have written that? Or are you going to go, you know what? No, I had a really rich life without it. And I know for me, I'd like a shot at four or five potentially great books uh, over the next few decades. And in the meantime, I don't know whether anybody's going to buy my book. I don't know. But I know I'm going to look back on my life and say, well, at least I tried. At least I got the message that was in me out of me in a way that could get to people. And you have to leave the outcome to God. I have no idea what it's going to be. But I'm going to be thankful that I got those messages out of me and onto a page where they have the potential to do some good. You know what's really cool about you saying that, Carrie, is I think I I feel like we're going to be working together forever, right? Well, that was and the goal. So I'm glad you didn't fire me so far. Those 10 or 20 books you write, what's going to be amazing, and you'll yeah, you'll more. see this, we get thousands of letters every month into the agency of suicides not committed, of people coming to Christ, of marriages saved, of kids uh, not cutting themselves, right? It's it's amazing. And we I tell my staff all the time, I'm like, we play a part of that because we help get this book out or so we help find that story. And so if you're saving people from, from burnout, right? Yeah. Or I mean, helping them be better leaders or cynicism, which can kill you, right? It will. It will just eat your soul. You'll be alive, but you'll have nothing left. I mean, when you get those letters uh, of people, you have no clue who they are. um, It really makes that hard work of those three months really matter. um, Say it's worth it, you know? And so that's the coolest part about what I get to do. I'm really humbled about it because I'm like, that we're part of that, you know? Yeah. And I think books have the opportunity as I've, you know, I had a big year of discernment a couple of years ago 
and you and I've talked about this, but like, you know, social media has a shelf life of minutes to hours, right? Um, blogging. Yeah, I've, I've turned some blog posts into a book and I'll probably do that at some point in the future too. But blogging has a shelf life of, you know, months or maybe a few years. Podcasting, you know, I guess theoretically it's forever, but you know, are people going to listen to all 100 or 500 episodes at some point? Yeah, it's got a shelf life. It's helped millions of people. But books, books have the potential to outlive you. And books have, if, if you write a good one, it has the potential to last a generation or more. I mean, I read something from Dale Carnegie. I read Stephen Covey earlier this year. You know, those, those guys have been dead for a long time. And, um, you know, Dallas Willard is gone, but his books are still around. And so, I'm really intrigued by this idea of making a contribution and even preaching. I love pour my heart into preaching. It's the hardest thing I do in my life other than maybe writing books. But, um, you know, a sermon series, it's like, oh, yeah, that was three years ago, right? Like, like I think it's really, cool that way. Yeah, and here's the thing is, think about it. Who do you think every Christian, if you said favorite writer is of all time? Hmm. I don't know. Who would they say? What do you think? What would you, how would you answer? I would say C.S. Lewis for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. So I would say C.S. Lewis, I would say every, is everyone pretty much, if you ask most, nine out of 10 would be their favorite author, right? Yeah. C.S. Lewis got rejected over 800 times. I didn't know that. Really? Over 800 rejections before the first publisher took his book. And think about, I said, I don't know. And I'm, I can, I'm in for the long haul. I, I can keep going, right? I'm like, would I have gone to 800? Like, or <laughs> yeah. have I, even or you, what? Esther, may have quit at some point. Well, quit after 699 or right before the miracle. You hear people say, but he, I mean, and what would it be like if he quit? If he yeah. didn't keep those letters, we wouldn't have had C.S. Lewis of some of the best books of our time. And so I think, I just think about that of saying, don't quit. If you really feel called to it, keep going, you know? And then, you know, what you were saying, even just the next generation, think about C.S. Lewis back. I mean, people are going to be reading him forever. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be around 200 years from now, you know? It's like Calvin, you know, people are still right, reading Calvin, people are still reading Luther, people, um, Teresa of Avila, um, you know, even St. Augustine, people are still reading, you know, that Mark quote about work like it all depended on you and uh, and it all depended on God, which I just completely butchered. Like, he, right. he actually, that's St. Augustine. You know, that goes back to 300 AD. It's crazy. Yeah. And then we have the Bible. Yeah, well, we have the Bible, right? But I just, I love that story. And Batterson, speaking of Batterson, he has this quote, he goes, you write a book because it's like your time capsule for your kids, your grandkids, your great grandkids to know who you are, the man you are, what you stood for, what mattered to you in life. I wish I had that from my great grandparents coming yeah. to this, you know, from Ukraine. I, I mean, that would, it didn't matter if it sold at all just to have that. Right. What mattered to them? What were they thinking? And so how cool is it going to be for your great, 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 great grandchildren, right? To be reading your books because they're going to be forever. They're evergreen. And to, to know what you cared about. Yeah, that's true. You know, I haven't really thought about that, but that, that, that is true. Or they'll be like, you know, yeah, that was my great grandfather. Never read them, but we just, you know, they got handed down by the family. We'll see. I, we'll see. I, I highly doubt it. Esther, where's, uh, where's publishing going? in the next decade? Because I think we would all agree it's a uh, industry that's in a period of significant transformation and everything's changing. So what do you see? What are the trends? Um, I don't think books are going away at all. Yeah. Okay, the books are not going away. I think I've made that clear kind of in the beginning. But your publisher, I'll give you an example. Penguin Random House has initiative by 2020 
to get 20 million email addresses. So where publishing is going is now everything is to the end consumer. So publishers now, big, huge publishers now are saying, how can I get to the end consumer? In other words, the bookstore is, yeah, they're trying to go direct outside of Amazon, even and outside of bookstores. Yep. And that's where, so I think publishing is going to look different because of the end consumer, the publishers aren't even going to go after it for you with their, they're trying to have relationships with the end consumer. So there's no, with the, we say this line at the agency all the time, and you've heard it with the death of retail is the death of discoverability. No Mm. longer are the days that people would go in and Max Licato was the only thing at Lifeway and you would walk in there and buy Max Licato's next book. You know, 1990s, it's like, that's how you bought books. Yeah, you would just wander and say, what's out? Because you don't know unless you got that catalog via mail. Yeah, it's, it's, so now it's, you've, there's so, with social media, with, with uh, podcasts, with any, any, with movies, people are buying because some, that the end consumer is reaching me. It's reaching me. Right. That or somehow is reaching me, maybe 10 times, 20 times before I go buy the book. But then I actually am going into the bookstore if I'm going into one and buying, looking specifically for that book. Yeah, I think you're right. That is a pivot because I remember in any, you know, if you're not 25, you remember going into bookstores and going, huh, wonder what's out. And even on Amazon, searchability is, is hard. I mean, you get the, you know, people also bought things. So if you look for my book, you know, you'll find people also bought Clay Scroggins, Andy Stanley, whatever happens to be on the list. But I mean, you kind of have to go and find that initial point of contact, which is why you can get lost so easily on Amazon. So if we do that self-publishing route, you know, I finally publish, but I'm, you know, book number 17 million of 17 million on Amazon and no one ever finds me. You know, you get lost in the in the haystack. So you see that change. Books aren't going away. You think print is here to stay. Print stay. And I've always said that. And I also say it might look different. There'll be other sides like audiobooks are so high. Who would have ever yeah. thought, you know, um, I do think publishers now are buying warehousing. They're back to that. Why are they buying all these warehouses? Because I didn't know that. Why? Yeah, because they know books are staying. Look at what I even just the numbers. And they're also buying T-shirt manufacturing companies. Publishers are book publishers. What? Really? Is that diversification or what? Or is it integration? What they're trying to do is we can make, create T-shirts to help the campaign with the book title on it. Right. So it's cheaper just to do it direct. It's like, uh, what do they call that? Horizontal integration. Yeah. yeah, horizontal. And so that's interesting, too, to me, because I think books, you're going to see different things with books, you know, where right. there's something else going along with it, not just uh, a, you get a choice of a book, ebook, audiobook, right. or T-shirt. T-shirt, right? I don't know what yeah. that's going to be, but I, the book, I can never see the book going away. There's nothing like getting on the couch with my cup of coffee and reading a book. Yeah, yeah. On a, on a, on a rainy afternoon. There's nothing better than that. And that's been around for literally centuries. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Esther, you've helped a lot of people here. You know what's cool? I mean, and we'll link to uh, Mark Batterson's, the first interview I ever did with Mark was on being a writer. And uh, take it from Mark. He's a multiple New York Times bestselling author. We've had John Acuff on here. I'll link to his episode where I talked to him about writing as well. And uh, so, you know, I think whether you're a preacher and you're writing for Sunday or whether you got that book in you and this just was exactly what you needed to say, okay, I'm going to write a manuscript. Um, If somebody just, I want to get one more granular question in before we wrap up. So somebody has a manuscript or let's say as a result of listening to this, six months from now, they've got a manuscript. What do they, and they're not going to self-publish. They want to talk to an agent. They want to go to a publisher. 
Where do they even start? Well, for my agency, I would say go to info at the Fed and okay. put in the subject Carrie Newhoff. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you spell the name yeah. correctly, Esther will actually read it. Um, yes, spell your name right. And if, if they if they go if they go to info at the Fed agency or they could just email us, if the Fed agency is the Fed with two D's, F E D D agency.com. Right. And we will read it. I mean, I promise you that our team, we have a great team. We will read that because we always, I mean, first of all, we feel called to read it because we don't want to miss the amazing book, you know? And yeah, have, you don't want to miss it. Right. Yeah. I have a great story. You know, Dave Ramsey told me when Mike Hyatt used to be an agent, right? I, did, I didn't know that part. Yeah. He used to have a big literary agency and he turned down financial peace. Oh, really? I I heard that story when I just started 15 years ago being an agent. I'm like, I do not want to turn down financial peace. Like, I want to make sure I look through every book. So do you hear that? This is this is so hopeful because, you know, what people ask me that all the time. How do you get published? And I'm like, it's not fair. I became friends with Reggie Joyner and he said, let's write a book together. And I didn't negotiate anything. And then... They started a publishing division, and I'm like, hey, I'd like to write a book. And they're like, okay. So I wrote Leading Change Without Losing It. And then I want to do another book. So I wrote Lasting Impact. Like, it's not fair. And then I just went shopping for an agent, and I found out from my friends, and you were on the list. And, you know, obviously I retained you, and then you got me the deal. So I'm like the worst guy to give advice, but that's great. So it's info at the Fed agency. Put my name in there. Esther will have her team read it. And if you've got the next Financial Peace University or you've got uh, the next Mere Christianity in you, uh, you will get discovered. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, and I, that's what I said. Like everybody, if they have a story and they really believe God's calling them, send it to us. We will read it. That is amazing. That is really, really cool. So there's my answer from now on. Because I never know, like, you know, I don't know what your capacity is or what that's like, but that's really, really cool. Esther, anything else you want to share with uh, leaders before we head out? No, thank you so much for your time. This was so much fun. It's always fun. There's never a dull moment with Esther and you're brilliant. I have learned so much from you and from your team. You've got a really, really amazing team. And, you know, the idea was that we're going to do this together for a long time. So that is the goal. And uh, I want to be writing God willing for years to come. And uh, you've been just a joy to work with. And your team's amazing. And uh, maybe you're going to have some new members of your team. You know, there's 30, 40, 50,000 listeners right now. So that's a lot of email. Well, I love it. I, I'll take it on. Bring it on. I love it. <laughs> but I will, Carrie, let me just say this to your listeners. Carrie, you are an amazingly talented, gifted man that's super hardworking. And I get the privilege to represent you and your wife, Tony. So I love that part. Um, but I believe you're putting the time in and this book is going to change a lot of lives. So I really, my whole team, me, my whole team, we're so humbled and just honored to have the ability to get to work with you. Well, it's, it's, I'm glad you're, you're happy about it. I mean, I'm just so amazed that any of this is happening at all. And, uh, Tony, my amazing wife, that's a whole other story for a whole other day, right? Cause you're also yeah, working well, with her. It's, uh, it's going to be awesome guys. Can't we are speaking together for the first time at a conference in Chicago in February. And, uh, she's working on a special project we'll share at some point down the road, but I'm really excited. Tony and I were working on it last night. So, uh, it's going to be great. Some of our story that we hope will be a help to people in the future because uh, marriage can be tough, but it can be rewarding. 
That's awesome. Esther, okay, so uh, finding you online, just info at the Fed Agency, and it's the FEDDAgency.com, correct? Yeah, correct. Thanks so much, Esther. So appreciate you. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Well, there you go. There is my permanent answer for how do I get published right there. I said to Esther when we hung up, I'm like, you may have to double the size of your firm. She's like, that's okay. (laughs) That's great. So, hey, aspiring authors, there's your PERMA answer. Okay. Like how, how cool is that? Um, hey, we don't take much of a break um, over the holidays and we are back next week. Well, actually, we don't take any break. How's that? Because like you're still a leader, right? So we're going to deliver episodes throughout the holiday season. Next week, I'm back with Jason Romano. Sports fans, you remember him from before, former ESPN producer. This time, a totally different angle, uh, a powerful story about just his relationship with his dad and um Man, you know, I think it's the emotional junk that sinks a lot of leaders. And um, we're going to talk about that. We're going to go there next week. Uh, Here's an excerpt from next week's episode. You know, I looked up the definition of empathy and it says it's understanding, simply understanding the feelings of others. Mm. And for the longest time, I never really cared to understand my dad's feelings. I was just angry and I wanted him to stop drinking and I didn't care what his thoughts were, what his feelings were about me or about him or whatever. I just wanted him to stop drinking. Empathy for me was to the point where I finally said, and it was when he was in that hospital, having just tried to end his life, when I realized, oh my gosh, this guy is going through hell right now. Let let me put myself in his position for just a minute because I don't think this man really wants to be where he is right now. Well, that's coming up next Tuesday with a fresh episode. Subscribers, you're going to get that automatically on your phone. And of course, you can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, have you headed over yet to lifewayleadership.com slash ministry grid? If not, do so today because you'll get, when you sign up for ministry grid, uh, a free guest services training if you do that by December 31st. And then high impact leader, man, that's going to be exciting. Go to thehighimpactleader.com today and you can get a free High Impact Leader calendar template that has revolutionized the lives of over 2,500, I think even 3,000 leaders so far. I'm so excited for it. And this is the thing that, that honestly, if you want to schedule to your priorities, this template, this free template will help you do it. We got some instructions on there and it's something you can have a look at and even start to change before the course itself releases right after Christmas. So would love for you to do that. Head on over to thehighimpactleader.com where you can get all that. In the meantime, we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.